3: Happy St. Bridget's Day to one and all. It is the 1st of February and in my book, it's the first day of spring. Now, there'd be a disagreement with the Met Office and uh, Met Aaron and other people about that as well. They say it's the 1st of March. But honestly, I, I have to say in my lifetime, the seasons were quite defined. November, December and January were winter. And then February, March, April, or springtime, May, June, July, summer, August, September, October... Autumn. That's my book. I've lived by it. I ain't changing now. I love this day and it's a lovely day out there as well. It's bright and you can just feel, can't you? The longer days approaching, the light in the evenings is great and the daffs and everything are bursting forth. And- We'll be in the garden the weekend doing a little bit as well, getting the veggies going and the early sports. Actually, we're talking about that later on in the show with my gardening go-to, Miss Nikki Kyle, after three. Don't miss that. Welcome to the show on this special day. I hope you're having a nice one. And I am delighted to have somebody special to open today's show with me. She is just fantastic. I always say it to you. I love reading what she has to say in the Irish Independent. She's brilliant. Sarah Carey, Hello.
4: Hello, Jerry, and thank you for that lovely welcome, as always. And it's a beautiful day here in Enfield. The sun is shining, so I'm with you 100%. Spring has sprung and St. Bridget has opened the gates to that stretch in the evening forest. <laughs> she
3: has, and you know, isn't it great? God bless her. We have a Monday off now as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
4: it's great, isn't it? That was one of the little COVID gifts. I think that was one of the rewards for lockdown that they gave <laughs> St. Bridget's Bank Holiday. So thank you, St. Bridget, for your year,
3: Oh, uh, Absolutely. You know, when I was reading you at the weekend, I was just going through my head. You know what was playing in my head? Gloria Gaynor. I will survive. <laughs> survive. <laughs> because I have to say, talk about hitting the nail on the head. Let me tell listeners. Look, Sarah's been writing uh, about the recent storms and the power cuts and how vulnerable people were left. Because if you don't have electricity nowadays, as you wrote, Sarah, were goosed. And lots of people were goosed, weren't they? They were. You
4: see, so we're moving... Um To electrifying all of society so that we can move away from fossil fuels and then we run everything on electricity and the electricity is generated by renewable energy, say from wind or solar or hydro or whatever it is. So that's the way we're moving. So that means there are people now living in new houses. And I often noticed them when I was driving by estates where there are no chimneys. You're not allowed to have Mm. a fire. And there are solar panels to help generate their electricity, which is fantastic. They might have an electric car rather than pumping dirty diesel into the car. Um, They don't have a gas-fired hob or anything like that. So everything is running on electricity, which means when the electricity goes, that's it, you're bunched. So I had grown up, and I'm sure you too remember Jerry and um, the maybe the 70s and 80s when power cuts were fairly regular. Yes, we were used Yeah, you know, so you were geared up for it. It was yeah. lifed out, you know, again, and you'd be all set for it. And I still have that mentality because where I live now, near Enfield, we've often had power cuts. It's funny, actually, how regular they are. Now, often they're scheduled because they're doing so many upgrades mm. to the transmission network and the grid. So we're given notice and we're able to prepare. So I have a system in place. But a lot of that means you have to have backup systems that don't involve electricity. So the obvious one is, well, I still I don't have a car yet. I have an old diesel car that I'm going to run into the ground <laughs> rather than buy a new car. We have a fire, an open fire, so you can actually stay warm yes. even if nothing else is working. Um, I have a rainwater barrel. They call them butts now where you attach it to the gutter, you know, outside yes. the wall because the number one thing you need is water when the electricity goes because we've a pump in our you know we've a well and a pump and so you have water so you need something for the toilets um I would keep a 5 liter bottle of water on standby for drinking water just in case so you need to have yourself set up so that when the power goes how are you going to exist mm. And that's kind of been made harder and harder in our new world. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing the shift to electrification. That is important. But it does mean every household has to have a no power plan because it's quite serious.
3: When you think about those things you've mentioned there and how dependent most people, well, well, quite a lot of people and will be going forward more and more dependent on mm. one source of power into your home, that electricity. And think of all those things that knocks out. I'm just thinking here as well. He said the car, the phones, uh, your Internet, you know, connection, uh, all that. Type, every, like so much is just wiped out. So here's the thing. Tell them, tell them. Come on, Sarah, I know what you're going to say. Tell them what you have in place. That you have uh, alternatives?
4: Right. So, well, I have the fire, as I said. Yeah. You know, so maybe not everybody has that. But I know. They could get, but they could get one of those super surge or something and keep it out in the garage or yes. something like that to have. So candles are obviously very important. Although I also have one of the old oil lamps and they're brilliant you get much better light from them and they're much safer than uh, carrying candles around the place Mm. so you can find modern versions of those in hardware stores but I found a nice old one in uh, Matthew's antique shop uh, over in at Boys so that was good lovely and uh, as I say the water's vital people often forget about that
0: Mm.
4: Um, now I do have one slight problem in that we have these obnoxious and ostentatious electric gates Jerry and a lot of people have those (laughs) so make sure you have a manual key to open the gate when we have a scheduled uh, power outage I know to run out and open the gates and prop them open but we've lost our manual key Ah. so uh, and a certain person keeps saying he's going to get the new one and hasn't actually gotten around to it yet Uh, the less said about that the better but the upshot is that if the power goes we're locked in our estate behind our our electric gates so people watch out for that when you could be really stuck someday. And a lot of people have electric gates, you
0: know. Yes.
4: So, um, so they were the main things, I think. Now, another thing is a battery uh, pack for your phone. You mm. see, a lot of the time, if the power isn't on, you lose your broadband, but you'll still have your mobile phone provided it's charged. Yes. So you can get battery packs and make sure they're charged and you've all the right needs because once you have your mobile then you're laughing. Yes. Because if you need to work, you can still get at your email, you can still make calls, all of that stuff is fine. And another very handy thing to have, um, I wanted to get a new radio and by accident I bought the wrong radio. It turned out it was a battery radio but it's brilliant. So yes. now when the power goes, I can turn on my radio. And the radio will be very, very important. Maybe, spe- maybe some people don't have a mobile phone. Mm. Maybe they have let the battery run out. But if you've got your battery-powered radio, you can still tune into the news, which in a national storm and a crisis and when there's an alert going on could have really important information for you. And they're cheap. They're cheap to get. You can get those for 30 quid in any of the electric shop.
0: Exactly. So, uh,
4: yeah, so have one of those. So the point, and then maybe there are older listeners, Jerry, who might have some medical devices, you know, that they need to be on all the time. I yep. saw in the paper there was a case of a lady down in the West um, whose mother was on some kind of oxygen. So her not having power, like with life threatening. Yes. So make sure, you know, if you have a relation who is dependent on a device, is there a generator? Is there a battery backup for that? Um, Because I think ESB networks are brilliant in those storms, like they are sending people out in dangerous conditions. But if you're at the end of the line, you could be a couple of days without power, Mm, you know. mm. So the point is not to be surprised and shocked. Have your plans and be prepared. And then when it goes, you'll be okay. You'll get by. Absolutely. uh, Yeah.
3: I was caught recently myself, Wednesday is curry evening in our house and I cooked Ah. for a multitude, right? And bloody hell, hadn't I? The curry half, you know, I was browned the chicken, I was in the middle of it. The power went, Sarah, and I had nothing. I lost the whole curry. Nobody would Ah. touch it. It was off for about an hour and a half and everyone said, oh, we're not going to hear that, it's chicken, we're not touching that. No way. Well,
4: that's another thing people can get. If you have an electric hob and an electric oven, have um, a, You can buy an independent spare gas hob, you know, one yes. that has a little amount of storage in it so that you can keep cooking. So my normal hob is a gas hob, and we have a cylinder out the back that it's connected to. Yeah. But say my parents have one of the little orange gas cylinders, yes. and they have a little, uh, just a single hob that fits on top of that. Yeah, and they just have that left outside in the shed, and then if the electricity goes, they can bring it in and they can at least boil water on that. You can make a cup of tea. You you <laughs> yes. could let your curry stew on top of yes, that. Yes, yes. You know, uh, so I'm, that's completely independent and doesn't require electricity. So get yourself one of those. And absolutely.
3: I okay. uh, listen. Uh, your your column has really prompted me to think, and I'm sure loads of others. And us chatting today about, and it's very important that battery powered radio means you can listen to late lunch on LMFM, and you won't be losing us. You see, so that. That's so important to keep in mind too. Do you know a couple of things? I laughed when I read it as well. Folks, you know what? Sarah wrote this column. I'm not getting out of the way here. It is in the public mail already. In yeah. bed, under the covers, with, listen, you forgot to say something. It's vital. A hot water bottle.
4: A hot water bottle. It is the absolute business. Because I'm fairly mean with the heat here now, Jerry. And you know the way prices are for fuel. We've all fired central heating. So um, so in the evenings, um, I'll go up to bed early and get, into, get my hot water bottle and do my reading or my emailing or whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. And during the day when I work from home, like it can get cold, especially the type of work that I do where I'm sitting still writing an awful lot. Yes. And, uh, or my, maybe I'm on team meetings online and that kind of thing. And there's no way I'd have the heat on all day in the house just for little old me doing my bit of work in one room. So uh on so my hot water bottle, and it's a great joke. So I thoroughly recommend them. And uh, during during COVID, to spoil myself at one point, I ordered an electric blanket um, uh, online, but I only left that in for a week, and I decided it disgrace indulgence and I went back to
3: the hot water bottle. Oh you're the most disciplined woman I know I have to say I can just see you there with the three cardigans on you and the blanket over you and the hot water bottle and everything you know. (laughs) Listen listen when I tell you I'm like that myself I work at home part of the day and why would I be heating a big house with the I have oil as well I have a little heater beside me and it just does me in the room that I'm in and just keeps it tepid you know what I mean it's as simple as that that's all I need and I'm happy that there's one vital element, I'm going to come back to it, and I must remind our listeners and you of this, you can have your gas and your fire and everything, but I wonder, have has everybody got a little lighter or matches, you know, something to light the gas yes. of that with? You know, you and mightn't have, Sarah.
4: Yeah, I know, and that's something you do have to remember because, so on my gas hob, the spark requires electricity to yes. actually turn it on. So one of the lessons I learned the hard way was you keep your emergency matches stashed somewhere in a yep. drawer beside it. Don't have it in a drawer upstairs so you're going around looking for it. Mm-hmm. Have your matches or have one of those little lighters. And that's very important. Yeah, you the, you you mentioned... you, usually, Jerry, you don't learn these things until the crisis has <laughs> happened. You suddenly <laughs> realize. But we can all learn from our mistakes and be ready for the next.
3: Time. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the other thing, Louise, just after mentioned me something, uh, your car in a real emergency, your car would charge your phone. You know what I mean? If you were stuck from the battery. Yes,
4: and I've done that. I have done that. I've gone out to the car. But then, of course, that's because we have, you know, uh, an old fossil fuel, as I said, diesel car, which is filthy. And in the future, you know, they'll be rarer and rarer yes. and rarer. So we'll have to come up with a plan for how we drive if we yeah. can't charge our cars. Yeah. So uh, I'll come back to you in about five years. <laughs> <and> i finally <laughs> broken and bought an electric car and figured that one out.
3: Okay. Well, well, I'll tell you a little a little aside, and I'm, I'm diverging a little bit from what we're talking about. Um, we've a Ford Puma, which is a hybrid, you know, 50-50, as they say, mm. phone a friend. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it went in for us. It started sending messages to me <laughs> recently saying, uh, this the safety features in this car are not working anymore. You know, the computer was putting up these messages on the screen or everything. So it was due a service where it went in, and the boys serviced it. Um, in Smiths did a great job. But they were just telling me, you know, when I picked it up, it just shows you how life has changed. That it was essential that uh, there was a huge uh, software upgrade needed on the computer in the car, and without it, uh, the car would have actually have stopped. You know what I mean? It wouldn't yeah. have. It wouldn't have gone. You know. So you know, yeah. it's a different world.
4: Yeah, no, it really has. It's creating huge dependency. And like I said, you know, I'm not against electrification. You know, I think it's the way we have to go. But it is creating these dependencies and a lack of redundancy in our systems, you know, in ways Mm. that we just haven't. And the point I was making in the article as well is fine on a house to household basis, we can make our plans. But what's the national plan for this? Sure. Uh, you know, on Tuesday I was chairing the Wind Energy Ireland annual conference. Seven hundred people in the room, investors from all around the world. Huge interest in building offshore uh, wind farms so that Ireland could actually become an exporter of electricity, not an importer like we are now. Well, what happens if that if there's an accident or a sabotage? Then, yeah. you know, so we really so it's a bit like COVID, where theory, governments around the world understood well. We could get some kind of flu-like virus uh, plague, but in practice, we had not really prepared for it. So I think, as a society, as we move to electrification, governments should have committees that actually figure this out. If the electricity was knocked out for the country for a week, how would we manage? Yes, you know. So, yes. so it's important think about this stuff,
0: oh, isn't
3: oh for sure and and unlike as you said in the column Covid it was uh, pure knee jerk stuff we need to anticipate this and plan for it and we're not really good like this in Ireland I feel at times but I, I, I'm glad to hear that you're raising the hair with it and hopefully people are thinking about it at a higher level but anyway coming back to ourselves as individuals a mm. lot of food for thought there we can make a lot of preparations ourselves not to be caught the next time uh, the power is out or there's a storm and it's going Going to happen again and they're going to become more frequent when you see these weather incidents and the way houses are becoming totally dependent on the electricity supply in ah uh, listen you're, you're fantastic i love what you i love what you uh, absolutely right i uh, i mean that i mean that i i have to say i just love it and check this woman out in uh, the irish independent keep an eye on her she really is on the money with so many just before you go i have to mention back to where we started St. Bridget's Day. What about it, Sarah? I know we touched on this before, uh, and and the bona fides of the saint.
5: <laughs> well, you see, there is
4: this whole theory, of course. Um, was there St. Bridget the saint, the medieval saint, yes. or was it St. Bridget the goddess who was there in pagan times? And and Christianizing goddesses and gods, of course, is a well-known phenomenon. So, I'm not but too bothered about it either way. who she was was she a goddess? was she um a medieval saint? but um, as the world and the history has been full of amazing women doing powerful things so I think it's just fine that we have one day where we can recognise we call it the feminine power in the world irrespective of what the name is or what the origin is Absolutely. and just
5: enjoy it
3: Absolutely yeah. that is that is so true and I had Dolores wheeling on to me the other day she's fantastic she's been uh, what would you call it uh, putting forward Bridget's uh, case for years and years when nobody even paid little attention to yes. her I have to say and uh, I feel, feel people like Dolores who's a very spiritual woman said exactly those words you said there that you know she's several aspects of the feminine divinity and that is the most important thing about it we thank her for it and today is her special day sarah carey you're so kind to us thank you very much for joining me again i love when we chat
4: Thank you, Jerry. Me too. You're very, very kind to me. I appreciate
3: it. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. All
4: right. Bye. Bye.
3: Sarah Carey there. Of course, one of her own from County Meath. And what a great, great writer she is. And uh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? About, you know, being prepared for the next storm. Do you have the candles? Do you have the torches? Do you have all we're talking about? Are you ready? Are you prepared? 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text if you have anything to say about being ready for the next big storm. Are you all right in there with your apps and your headphones and everything? You look conflustered. That's all I can tell. No, I'm OK. You okay? I'm grand.
6: Yeah, I'm just trying to change Chris <laughs> to you. Hard thing to do.
3: It's a hard thing to do, to change Chris Murray to me. I, we have to say a big thank you, don't we, Louise, to Delia Henehan uh, from County Kildare, who again this year sent us in the most beautiful St. Bridget's Crosses, uh, quite a number of them. And she tells me, and I know this, for the last 20 years, she's been making uh, St. Bridget's Crosses all for charity. Isn't she wonderful? Mm, Thank you so much. Delia, thank you so much for the crosses. We do treasure them. We do indeed. And we are really grateful to you for sending them in to us. Uh, Much appreciated on this day. Uh, The messages are really interesting uh, about what myself and Sarah were chatting about there, being ready. Jerry, isn't it good to have the old telephone? Now there's a, that, that's a real one that I, I never thought of, and I've worked for the company in my time. In case the mobile phone goes out of charge, the, the fixed-line telephone never goes off. It's not dependent on electricity.:
6: Oh, I never thought of that. No, there's a but big How many benefit. people would have them still?
3: Is there many people out there with fixed-line telephones mm. still? I'd say not many.: Not many. No, I'd say I'd say so. I'd say few. Have you, how are you doing out there? Anyone still with the old? Well, there's somebody has. Obviously, that mm-hmm. person who messaged in there has a fixed line telephone. Still, you don't need the electricity when you have the fixed line. Thank you so much for letting us know that. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text if you want to get in touch with us. Ask that woman does she want an eye lamp? I have one. <laughs> I can give it to her. Give me a ring. <laughs> So there's, there's another oil lamp for Sarah Carey and there's a brilliant one. Them electric gates are known as the F-off gates, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, I love it. Jerry. to have your feet warm make sure you have wool socks on. Uh, and are you sure that curry was dangerous? Oh, Anne's all concerned about me. I dread wasting food. I tell you, I'm the same as yourself, Anne, but no it have it. I'll tell you who enjoyed it. Nessie.
6: <laughs> Messi had and the, nothing wrong with him. After it. The,
3: well, not a bad I am sure he is. He's the constitution of an ox. Um, now, uh, there is another one, Jerry. A heated throw is a godsend. Covers the knees. You work away. It's very cheap. but fifty euro to buy. No need to have heating on all over the house. Ready in a flash. If a cut happens, says Bridey. I really like that. I like really the miners' really
6: do. lights. Oh, yeah. The, you mind- know the, the ones you wear around your head. Yeah, 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 yeah
3: absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Nigel's on from New York. Do you see that one there? Uh, good day, Jerry. Morning to you, Nigel, in uh, NYC, the Big Apple. Uh, when my power goes down in New York, I get a fixed text from the power company right away letting me know how my people are affected and when the power will be restored. Oh, mm. oh you Americans, Nigel. Well,
6: you're In American, fairness, if you go so on to clever. power outage here on the ESB, the ESB will tell you that... Yeah. It's out in your area, how many are affected, and a rough time on when it'll be back on. So in <laughs> fairness they do have that too here. It's not like
3: the fellas coming to fix your washing machine or your cooker or that. Do you know them fellas? Yeah. That never show up.
6: Well they never just tell you the year. Oh. They that. always tell you the day. <laughs>
3: i desperate mm-hmm. Late lunch FM Radio After 2 We're going to hear about A fantastic new initiative On Drogheda Southside From John Heaney And Chloe Kelly But taking us up to 2 We dedicate this To Miss Sarah Carey This afternoon It's a classic Gloria Gaynor At first I was afraid I
6: was petrified Kept thinking I could never live Without you by my side But then I spent So many nights
3: I'm pleased, very pleased to welcome my next guest to the show because there is a project called Southside Pride of Place and it's a community-based project led by St Nicholas GFC and Ballsgrove Youth Club And I really love this, I have to say, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show today from the Knicks. I think we can call them the Knicks. John Heaney, who's a coach with them, and Chloe Kelly, who is founder of the Ballsgrove Youth Club. You're both very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks Thanks for having us. Uh, It's great to have you with us on the show. I suppose uh, to yourself, John, at a high level, the Southside Pride of
2: Place. Would you explain what this is to listeners, please? Yeah, uh, the Southside Pride of Place, it's it's a new project that we've started uh, last year. and and it came out of the Drogheda Implementation Board Small Grants Fund, where they opened up calls for local organisations to to step forward, ask for funding. Um, So so the Ballsgrove Youth Club is based in St. Nicholas GFC. It's a group that we work together, and we felt that there was something that we could do uh, for the young people in the area, in the catchment area of the Nix and Ballsgrove. So we came up with this project. It's called Clean create and celebrate. So there's three elements to that project. So the funding that we got from the Drodd Implementation Board allowed us to address a specific need in the, in the plan, which is youth leadership and development of kind of community capacity, specifically on the south side of town. So the, the clean element is a very straightforward one. We get lots of young people to come out and we walk the streets of our area and with pickers and gloves and bags and our coaches and our young people go out and they will take pride in cleaning up their local area. I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's great. It. Now, I, it's been very successful. As I said, I, 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 we can't fault the young people. Every clean-up day we've had, at least 50 young people have turned up to us. No Terrific. complaints.
7: No, no and Like, you know, out there and then the rest. So. Yes.
2: Yeah, it's great. Then the create element is where we're kind of on the coattails of the very successful Drawda Urban Art Project. So that's our next phase, is that we're going to be... Uh, employing an artist to work with the young people and for those people who know Drahada that kind of pedestrian area at the back of the Aura gym not far from here Jerry, along the Nix field so we're going to have produced murals there so again on the back and we're working with the people who have have worked with the Drogheda Urban Art Project to have those arts and a piece of art again on the south side of town and then obviously celebrate and celebrate the great uh, potential the great uh, generosity that we've seen with the young people in this project so we'll have a bit of a party at the end so that's the celebrate.
3: Very well Explained mm-hmm. and all those uh, things sit together really neatly. Mm-hmm. You guys have been here years and mm-hmm. years, St. Nicholas, and doing a wonderful job as well at the heart of the community for years and years. But, like, it is no secret that Drogheda experienced a shocking time. Mm-hmm. We'd call it the drugs ward and we're yeah. done. Correct. Thank God a lot has settled down since. Yeah. But this part of town in particular was in focus at the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. F- for you, John, like, this you know on on top of all the other social challenges, you know it was it was rough times,
4: wasn't
2: it? It, it was, and again, as opposed to draw the implementation board and the structure that's that's in place was there to address that specific need. Yes. and the Gearin report and 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 saying that our project is very, very specifically focused on developing local community and youth leadership capacity on the south side of town. and Gearin himself identified that as a as a deficit at the time Now, in fairness to, to what has happened over the last number of years, we've had a community-place-based leadership programme based out of the Knicks, where young people, not young people, so older people from our area have stepped forward and saying, you know, we're, we're happy to be community leaders. And again, I suppose, Jerry, I would have obviously come into the Knicks I'm, I'm from here on, on Mullen Road, uh, from the football end, but we as a club now have a very clear understanding of our role within the community. Yes, Our, our dressing room, our new clubhouse that we've built here, is busy, morning, and night, 12 months of the year. So mm. it's also understanding that as well as being a football club, yes. we're a community, community organisation. Yeah. And we'd, we we understand that that now is part of our remit. And again, I think on the broader sense, the GA clubs are getting getting to understand that. I was at the Drawhead Implementation Board. They had over 35 sports clubs from codes. that They had it in Diffie there before Christmas. And all of the sports clubs based in this town understand that their reach is far beyond the football field. So, again, that is, is something we're, we're very clear in understanding. And then as the fact that Chloe's Youth Club are based in, in the Knicks, it, it was a very obvious alliance that we could work together on something. It's wonderful. It's wonderful too. Yeah. And that understanding is,
3: it, it, you know, that it's come to the fore now and it's been forced to the fore really, mm-hmm. but it's great that it's happening and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to hear it. Chloe, let's bring you into the conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so Founder much. Founder of Ballsgrove Youth Club. Take me back and tell me about the, the start-up. Yeah. Why, why did you start it?
7: So Balscorp Youth Club is a voluntary youth club. So I actually grew up in the Southside project here in Ron Heights. I was a member there since I was eight. It's my second home. I'm almost 20 now and I'm still heavily involved. So the support that I got there was second to none. Like, you know, it was a home to me, so it was. um, But the whole drive behind that, I think, was the support there that I got. I always had a passion for working with young people or, you know, working with people. I was always, you know came across as maybe a caring person like a kind person sometimes it's a weakness more than a strength but um I feel like even in terms of like school and stuff I never really knew what I wanted to do Mm. I kind of had a lot of like low confidence and stuff in school whereas I was like I don't know if I'll ever make it to college like type thing I was probably one of the worst behaved students in school but I never thought I'd even make it to college so I didn't but The year that I was due to finish school, I got a place in Diffie and it was actually the first year of the community work course level five. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is it. Like, you know, so I applied, got in and I think that was where I found my love for youth work. It was absolutely amazing. I'm now in DQIT now in my second year. So congratulations. And and
3: when you qualify, you'll qualify as what? As a community
7: worker. As a community worker.
3: Which is something, as you said, you grew up mm-hmm. as a child and here you are. You'll be fully qualified professional in the field. Can I ask you, though, yeah. Rowan Heights is where, where you lived in that and this whole area here. What's it like to be a young person when, you know, people have been murdered? Drugs is at you know, to the fore. We have to get a special guard unit brought into yeah. the town. You have sirens every night, you have helicopters flying mm-hmm. overhead.
7: Well, what was that like,
3: you know, for scary, you and your friends? definitely.
7: Scary. Like, you know, even like I, I went to the Ollie's like school, like, you know, I was in always in the heart of like the community and stuff. But I feel like I've always like know, like known people like, you know, in the community that like, you know, are heavily involved, like with drugs and things like there was always with the feud and things. Like, you know, it's all close to home. Like, you know, a lot of the things that you hear, you think it, you'd hear far away or whatever, but it was right on our doorstep. Like I come from Finian, so it's kind of the heart of the community. So you would but, know
3: people who would be involved? Yeah, in that yeah, 100%, as well. yeah. As someone who's a community worker and grew up in in this area, how, how, how do young people drift towards that? What happens? I presume these people were children like yourself when they were smaller and everything and going to school and, yeah. and said what, what why do they drift there? We're talking about this project that is yeah. wonderful. What happens?
7: Well, maybe the lack of role models and stuff in their life like you know i was i was a lucky enough person that i grew up in a youth club but there is a lot of young people that you know slipped through the cracks in terms of school and things and maybe don't have a sport don't even know you clubs exist or or maybe like you know hard to reach young people that they look for other things like you know easy way out like you know while well, sell drugs for this or like, you know, to make money and things like that. Whereas I was lucky enough to, you know, have the support of You Club to steer me in the right direction. So I just yes. want to be that that young person or come that in, person. There, John. Yeah, John
2: like it's it's an interesting point that Chloe writes right or mm-hmm. that raises about um role models because it's it's another issue that the, the implementation board have identified. And I know they've done a piece of work very recently on role models and the very interesting stuff that's coming particularly from students, again, from maybe on the north side of town, based around the town, of little money more, or here on the south side of town, is that the young people identify with role models that they literally can see on their street. Mm-hmm. So they did, it was a very interesting piece of work. They did a research and Evan Ferguson, who at a national level would have a massive profile, didn't really hit home as much as, say, um, people like Leah Bennett or Kyle Ray Rogers, who are MMA, international MMA youth internationals from Rathmullan and Finians. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a role model that these young people can see every day or go, she lives one street over from me, yeah. he lives around the corner from me, mm-hmm. that the that these young people need to see the opportunity or people who are taking the opportunity right on their doorstep. And we had an event last week, uh, a youth leadership event with Alan O'Donoghue. On a Friday night, in, on a wet Friday night in January, and we'd over 70 young people come out to learn about youth leadership and community leadership. So the reality of it is, is that sometimes when we look at the issues of areas like Rat Mullen and Finians mm-hmm. and some that people would talk at possibly a deficit, the young people are there who have the ambition. Yeah. The young people are there who have the interest.
7: Yeah.
2: But what we have learned and what we know by being in the community, the reality of it is, we have to bring the opportunities to their to door. Yeah. So sometimes like you think, oh, we'll run a, lead- a youth leadership workshop on West Street. That literally might be too far away. But if you can get this, the, the young people access to stuff like community workshops, mm-hmm. stuff like projects like this yeah. that they want to be involved in they will grab it with both hands because they are actually looking for those opportunities. I feel like
7: some young people just need someone to be like, you know what, you have a bit of potential. Let's let's go with that. Recognise the strength and bring them along. Whereas I was blessed to grow up in the Southside Project, whereas I probably was a young person in school and stuff that I didn't show much potential because I just... Absolutely hated it, but I went to the Side Side Project, and you know, like they recognised that I had some sort of potential there. Same with Diffie, they recognised strengths and stuff. And
3: but that saved Brought you. me along. The project saved, saved you, really, saved me, and and me. pointed you in the direction where you're so happy now. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from both of you is that, you know people, resources into the areas, people are needed that are role models, facilities, you know what I mean, amenities, you know, Mm -hmm. these things are are absolutely needed. Chloe, what about your club, the way it works? How many members would you have in in the club? What ages are they? When do you meet? Tell us Mm -hmm. a bit about it.
7: Yeah, so at the moment, I have over 60 young people registered with me. So we meet every Friday evening. So I have a younger group and an older group. So we meet six to seven, seven to eight. So my younger group has young people from the age of seven all the way up to about 10, 11. Then my older group is 12 to about 15 years. So one need that I recognised was when I was in the Southside Project, I joined there when I was eight. And then in recent years, their funding changed and it only entails them to work with young people from 10 and up. So I kind of noticed an age gap there that I was like, there isn't a youth service around here that has that like age group. Whereas I seeing the benefits for me so yeah as young as I take is seven at the minute we meet every Friday Um, things that we've done I have a couple of highlights that I want to say so before Christmas we had over 50 young people first day trained so we had to order a Malta come in and give us a whole tour of like the van like the yes. ambulance and things like that they're all defib trained so even the young people as age of seven have all can got defib, defib trained yeah Fantastic. they can of course we had a lovely award ceremony down before Christmas as well we got funded by My Streets Ireland and they gave us funding to run a photography workshop so that ran for six weeks the young people absolutely loved it so I didn't want to just finish it after the six weeks so we had a little bit of a celebration we invited parents and everyone in which was great community guards everyone showed up which was amazing for the young people uh, we also done a mural as well last year in Ballsgrove at the side of the pharmacy so that was a huge piece of work that we done and it was absolutely amazing the young people were involved start to finish the whole planning process the colouring like we were out every single evening for about two weeks like you know with an, a local artist um which was amazing Darren Finnegan he was absolutely great um also another thing I put out a call out on the draw dolls then a couple of months ago to get people in if they were interested in doing like likes of like hair and beauty dancing and stuff and we got an like, really, really amazing feedback. And uh, we had PTs, arts and crafts, we had ladies coming in, training our young people in hair and beauty, just trying to broaden the horizon for. I the want young to people, join. Which is great. <laughs> Anytime, time, Not sure, Any time. Not sure
2: about the hair journey. Hair to do that.
7: Wouldn't say too There's
0: <laughs> <laughs> a big
2: child at
7: heart here. You
0: wanted
3: to mention something that's coming up there as well. Did you? What, what, what have you something? Is it, or is it back to Alan O'Donoghue this we're talking about? No, yeah. no you're volunteering. Yeah, yeah,
7: so I just have an appeal down for volunteers. So it's one thing that we do actually struggle with we're obviously a volunteer youth club and yes. rely heavily on volunteers i also have been taking on students from diffie and like the courses there as well which is absolutely amazing but we do have a link up on the loud volunteer center if anyone would like to reach out or apply through them or you can also contact us on our socials bosco View club you'll find us on instagram facebook or my email as well is bosco club at gmail.com so i'd love to Volunteers people. required. Yes. People to get
3: involved in yes. this, give something, and you'll receive so much back. Will, this is course. it's a two way process. Yes. There's no doubt about that. She she's she's a wonderful example, isn't she? Of somebody, <laughs> and I, I think she won't mind me saying mm-hmm. that that school didn't suit her. She she, she was honest about this. Told yeah. us this a while ago. And look at now where she's going with her, with her yeah. life and her mm-hmm. qualification,
2: John. Yeah. Listen again, my own background, and and I and I've known Chloe for a while now. Is that um, and if you know that we can all acknowledge that some parts of schooling isn't for everybody. Yes. But when somebody finds their niche, finds and when it clicks is that they take advantage of it. And as I said, Chloe is somebody who, who through DIFFI and the community program, uh, youth program there and then obviously on to DKIT mm-hmm. has found something. And listen, it's very easy to see that Chloe is making a significant difference in our community yep. with the young people. <laughs> um, like I've seen her at work there, mm-hmm. her and the other leaders in her youth group, 50 people every Friday night. They turn up religiously, they turn up there because they want to turn up. Mm-hmm. Chloe's given them a good good time for a, and a space to engage and stuff for the training yeah. like that, but also just a space to be together. Um, that, 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 and again, I'm sure the, I, mean, I know the families in the locality appreciate. Yeah. Oh, of course. I feel like
7: every young person deserves someone that, you know, thinks they're a big deal or like, you know, sees something in them. So that's just the type of person I want to be for the young people that
3: I have I just want to mention again next Tuesday the yeah. 6th of February at seven o'clock yeah. in the st Nicholas new clubhouse mm-hmm. Alan O'Donoghue what a brilliant fellow regular mm-hmm. of ours on late lunch uh, just finished the book damn your anxiety that he's yeah. published yeah. Uh, he's co- author of it there and he's giving a presentation on
2: managing stress and anxiety which is a big thing for yeah. everybody Definitely. yeah so the, the, so I suppose the youth leadership that Alan did with us last week that was very much for the young people within the project but this is a this is an open call to the local community to say this is a community public event we're hosting it in the Nick's uh, club rooms I said but every, anyone's welcome to attend it's not It's not just for people in the locality or people within the okay, project so Alan, Alan's going to give a talk and, and I suppose the focus I know that the, the title is Managing Stress and Anxiety so again parents and young people can attend yeah. it's not a, a case of one or the other um, and Alan is going to look at that idea of you know how do we positively manage stress and anxiety as I said working with young people that is again, the most common challenge that they are now uh, expressing yeah. and, and, and that manifests in young people is the issue of anxiety. Is what you hear? Yes, yeah, yeah. definitely,
7: 100%.
3: Yeah. And what's underpinning it? Is it? What underpins anxiety and stress in young people? Is it the exams that are coming? Is it going to school, going to college, having a few bob... Uh, the
7: social media
3: thing does yeah, that come social into play? Yeah, plays
7: a huge yeah. factor in it and like, you know, the pressures of society and things like, you know, keeping up with trends on social media, like, you know, that falls into it a lot. Like, even myself, like, you know, I follow influencers like all the time, like, you know, and you find yourself slipping into like those traps of like, oh, like, you know, why am I not like that? Or like, you know, why is, my yes. life, like, so different, like, you know, things like that. So, of course, it's definitely a pressure for young people. No, 100%. Agree, yeah. Like,
2: like the exams, uh, we all had exam stress and we all yeah. had that. But the idea from Alan's talk that parents and young people will leave that talk with some positive strategies that they can manage their own stress and anxiety. And, and again, we're delighted that this outside project and and the funding that we've got from Drahada Implementation Board has f- allowed us to do this for our for our community uh, and, again, for the wider community in Drahada.
3: It's absolutely terrific. Next Tuesday, 7 o'clock, St Nicholas on the Mullen Road. Open house, open door. Everybody <laughs> welcome. Yeah. You we won't, can't
7: wait to see it. Yes, <laughs> and you won't
3: regret it. <laughs> Alan O'Donoghue there with these guys. Fantastic. I am heartened by what I hear. Keep up the great Thank work. You so Thank you so much, Thank you, travenous. John Thank Heaney you. from St. Nick's, the Knicks, and Chloe Kelly from uh, the Balls Grove Youth Club. Thank, Thank you, you for so joining
0: much. Me today. Take Thank care. you. Thank you. My love, I want to see I miss the green.
3: Una Linsky said goodbye to her cousin Anne as they stepped off the bus from Dublin on the Ferry House Road in County Mead on October 12, 1971. Una turned to walk up Porterstown Lane to her parents' house, but little did either of them know this would be the last time she was seen alive. Una's body was later found fully clothed in the Dublin mountains, but who killed her? Why did suspicion build around three young lads from the same laneway? To this day, the community is split between those who believed in their innocence and those who didn't. The killer had left clues, but would the investigating guardy follow the right paths? This fascinating story is the focus of the latest series of news talks, Inside the Crime podcast, hosted by a man many of you will be familiar with on this radio station, our own courts correspondent, Frank Graney. Frank, welcome to Late Lunch. I'm familiar with this story myself over the years, but I want to go back to the beginning here. Una's disappearance at the time, God, it was very unusual and likely in a rural area.
2: Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, we're talking about something that happened over 50 years now. And as unusual as it would be for a 19-year-old girl to go missing nowadays, it was even more unusual and shocking back in 1971. I'm sure you and your listeners will be familiar with Porterstown Lane. But for those who aren't, it is um, a beautiful stretch of... uh, Country Road, about two and a half kilometres long, just outside Ruth and um, It's quite near Ferry House Racecourse. On the west of the um, the lane, then, you have the dublin Navan Road. And to the east, you have Ferry House Road. And it was on Ferry House Road that Una Linsky stepped off a bus home from work. She was a civil servant working for the Land Commission in Dublin back in 1971. As I say, she was 19 years of age and she stepped off that bus on Ferry House Road. Um, she had been seated with her cousin, Anne Goughan, and got off at the same stop. She lived quite close to where the bus stop was. They said their final farewells um, went their separate ways, and they both expected to see each other on the bus to work the following morning. But sadly, that was the last time that Anne Goughan saw her cousin, Una Linsky, alive. In fact, uh, that was the last time that Una was was seen alive again. Uh, Her body was found in the Dublin Mountains a few months later and to this day, 53 years on, we still don't know what happened
3: to her. Yes, it's uh, a long, long time with no resolution. Back then, there were sightings of this Ford car and screams Mm. were heard that evening by a number of locals and that really was a focal point of the investigation and there was a clear description actually of the suspect driving that car and even a sighting of a girl in the backseat who was struggling. But with all that Still, they haven't pinpointed this, and they got the wrong guys.
1: Yeah, it it, it truly is a remarkable story with lots of um, twists and turns uh, along the way. And um, I mean, we're talking about something that happened back in 1971. I suppose you have to, you have to realise that um, crime fighting and the solving of crimes back then was very different to nowadays. In the sense that nowadays, if something like this happened, you would have an abundance of evidence to work with right from the start, such as CCTV evidence. Um, obviously, mobile phones are in everybody's pockets uh, nowadays. Uh, that wasn't the case, certainly, back in 1971. So I suppose in those early stages of the investigation, when Una didn't return home, and it was very unusual for her not to t- return home uh, on time, it took her maybe 15 minutes to walk from that bus stop on Ferry House Road to where she lived on Porcherstown Lane, which was about halfway down she lived at the end of a uh, cul-de-sac and she lived on uh, in a farmhouse with her family. Um, Patrick and uh, Winnie Linsky, her parents, uh, had moved to the area in recent years. They were relocated there uh, by the Land Commission, as it, as it turns out. There were leads for the Gardaí to follow at the time because lots of people heard screams coming from the direction of some fields known locally as the Three Acres. And that would have happened at roughly the same time that Una was making her way home having stepped off that bus. But as you rightly mentioned, there were also sightings of a mysterious car uh, in the area uh, driving up and down the lane earlier that evening. And indeed, Una Linsky's cousin, Porrick Gotton, who lived with his family right next door to where she lived on Porterstown Lane, he was actually making his own way home having stepped off a bus, um, uh, albeit from the other side of Porterstown Lane, from the bottom of the lane or the west, the Dublin Navon Road, so he would have been walking home at roughly the same time as una and he saw this car a large ford car now he wasn't able to distinguish whether it was a ford zephyr or a ford zodiac and that is a crucial distinction as the story goes on and um, he wasn't able to distinguish what type of car it was but he certainly knew it was a ford car it was a large car and he described seeing um, a middle-aged man very well dressed uh, driving that car And that was peculiar. He'd never seen that car before. And certainly in terms of the Ford Zodiac, which was the more luxurious uh, of the models, um, it was very unusual to see those uh, types of car in the area. It was um, a luxurious car. Um, It was a ministerial car at the time, as it turns out. And it would have caught um, a few people's eye to have seen it driving around. And then, as you say, there was another person who came forward a few days after Una went missing to say that um, he was driving along Ferry House Road when he had to swerve his van to avoid a collision with a large, dark-coloured Ford car that was speeding out of Porterstown Lane onto Ferry House Road. He said that he saw a middle-aged man driving that car and he also saw another man in the back and, crucially, um, a girl. Um, He described seeing a girl in the back and he said that having, you know, a quick glance at what was happening in the back of the car, he thought um, it appeared that that man was trying to kiss the girl in the back of the car, and he said that the girl looked frightened. So certainly the gardi and the the murder squad, as it was known back then, well, colloquially it was known as the murder squad. It was Its official term was the technical unit. It was based in Dublin Castle. It came up to investigate uh, Una's disappearance. They certainly had a lot of leads. There were a lot of witness statements taken, and um, certainly in relation to the car, the screams, that were heard, but I suppose one of the questions that we ask as the series of inside the crime goes on is whether or not those leads um, were adequately followed.
3: Absolutely, three young men from the area, Martin Conmey who I'm very familiar with, uh, Dick Donnelly, mm. and Marty Kerrigan, uh, were arrested, questioned, and uh, you know they were brought to court, and uh, mm. two of them were convicted of manslaughter. The third. Uh, Marty Kerrigan, well, that was a shocking case because when Una Linsky's body was found in the Dublin mountains in December 71, a week later, Marty Kerrigan was taken from his home uh, by members of Una's family in Ratolt village and he was murdered.
1: That's right. It is um, a truly shocking and uh, a traumatic and devastating case for um, all involved. You know, what we have really noticed through our research and our work on this series of Inside the Crime is how devastating the impacts are. You know, the ripple effects of, of all of what happened arising out of Oona Miss going missing back in October 1971, the ripple effects are still felt nowadays, 53 years uh, on. As you say, um, Martin Connolly, Dick Donnelly and Marty Kerrigan, three pals uh, from uh, the area who became, I suppose, entwined in this story um, for all the wrong reasons, um, the murder squad, when it descended on um, uh, on the scene a few days after Una went missing, they went through all the statements that had been taken by local guard. The, they noticed some discrepancies and um, they noticed some inconsistencies and they hauled the three lads into Trim Garda station. Um, and what happened in Trim Garda station, and we've spoken at length to Martin Connally about it, is um, truly shocking the um martin and marty kerrigan will go on to claim um that they were psychologically and physically tortured uh, by members of the garda murder squad to the point where they ended up um, making false confessions as to their involvement in una's disappearance they had nothing to do with it um, but they made those false confessions in the hope and um, that they would be allowed to leave trim garda station and the truth would set them free Dick Donnelly would also go on to make claims um, of physical abuse at Trimgartha Station, but he stuck to his guns. He said that he wasn't in the area at the time. He had nothing to do with Una's disappearance. He certainly had nothing to do uh, with her murder. And despite all that, Martin Conmey and Dick Donnelly went on to stand trial. Both were convicted of uh, manslaughter. They were acquitted of the more serious charge of murder. Both were sent to prison. Both immediately appealed. Dick Donnelly was successful, Martin Conway wasn't, and he spent three years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And as I'm sure you and your listeners will be very aware, he spent years, decades, actually, um, trying to vindicate his name, and he did in the end. Thankfully, he was fully vindicated. His case was considered a miscarriage of justice. But I suppose in the midst of all of that and the knock-on effects of, of what happens you know, after Una stepped off that bus, the reality is that over 50 years on, we still don't know what happened to her. We still don't know who killed her. And I suppose that was one of the main reasons that we wanted to tell this story again, was to highlight it, to put it back into the public domain. And while we were researching this story, as it turns out, the the Cold case unit has also reopened the case. So it's now taking another closer look at the investigation from 1971.
3: Have to mention local solicitor Deirdre Mone, a good friend of ours on the show as well, who played a big part in clearing martin conney's name and I remember talking to him uh, when he was clear and the joy and relief and the uh, closure that that brought him, but still the question remains Frank the case is mm. open again fifty three years later. Who did it? Will it ever be solved?
1: there's always hope, and I think that's why we you know work on these. Stories that while there's still hope, there's still a sense in telling these stories because a lot can change over the course of 50-odd years. You know, loyalties may change. and um, You know, consciences may get the better of people too as people get older and they may look back and, and feel that they had actually misplaced loyalties in people. I mean, that car, the Ford Zodiac, the middle-aged man driving that car, um, they were significant clues at the time, and I feel they are crucial to unlocking this case, this case that has had devastating impact on the Linsky's, obviously. Um, also, you know, Dick Donnelly's family, Martin Conney, and his family, Marty Kerrigan lost his life uh, over all of this, as you say, and his family have been devastated by it too. And we've spoken to members of... Dick Donnelly and Marty Kerrigan's family, and they want justice for their loved ones too because they never got an apology from the state in the same way that Martin Connolly did. They're also calling for a public inquiry. Yes, the Gardaí are looking into the case again, but they want an independent public inquiry to look at the allegations of abuse that were made against Gardaí and Trim Garda Station when they were taken in for questioning. You mentioned uh, Deirdre Moran as well um, of Talent Solicitors. Um, a remarkable woman. This case landed on her desk just three years after she became a qualified solicitor, Martin Connemy's appeal, that is. And she was there right up until, at the end, fighting Martin's corner. And speaking to her as part of this podcast, and she is a contributor in the later episodes of of this podcast, and you can still hear and feel the emotion that she feels when she speaks about Martin and the injustice uh, that he experienced. It had an absolutely devastating impact uh, on his life. And, you know, I am at pains to also point out that the Linskys here are at the fore of of our minds because while Una Linskys' killer has never been found, you know, she has been robbed justice um, for all of those years. So hopefully by, I suppose, bringing it back into the public domain in this way and hopefully by the fact that Agartha Shia Khan are taking another look at the investigation, hopefully someday, Luna will get the justice that she deserves and she'll finally be allowed to rest in peace.
3: Indeed. Uh, Frank, you've done a fine job of Episode 1 is Anything to Go By. It's available now where you get your podcasts, folks. Inside the Crime, the Una Linsky murder and each Tuesday going forward a new episode will be released. There are five in total. Frank, I'm really grateful that you joined me today on Late Lunch. Thank you so much indeed and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Jerry. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Louise, the centre of Dundalk is looking absolutely fantastic. The The the, the lights, yeah. Mm. The Northern Lights, Bridget 1500 series uh, get into the centre of Dundalk. Do, do go and see this at the Market Square. It is. Unbelievable. They've done a fantastic job and uh, well worth a visit and to enjoy all that's going on there to celebrate this St. Bridget's uh, Day and Festival Weekend and, of course, the bank holiday on Monday. Well worth getting into the Market Square in Dundalk and seeing that. It's simply terrific. I'd highly recommend it to you all listening to us today. It's a big day today, right? It is St. Bridget's Day, Louise. Mm -hmm. Uh, But return kicks in today for your plastic bottles and cans. Oh, that's right. Now, don't go to the machines yet. They have to have this little identifier on them. You know, if you have bottles a and cans. Mark on the top. Yes, yeah, it has to. The mark is on them, yeah. and you go and do it. And we're going to be talking about it on the show for sure next week. That kicks in today. So would you
6: be better off getting a crate, buying a crate this weekend, rather than just going every week with like three or four? You know, keep the crate and then bring all the crate at once, and then you get loads of money back. A bag
3: a good hard wearing bag you know those um, forever bags that you get in a supermarket one of those and put them into it that's what I'll be doing and bringing mm. it up with me when I'm going shopping that's my plan anyway I I, I agree with you some weeks you might never much other weeks maybe more whatever you have to balance that you're right going up with one or two bottles and getting 30 cent back no nah no. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> no. It's like, it's like them vouchers that that crowd in Club Card and Tesco send out to me with 20 cent off this and 10 cent off that. I don't we, get that much lucky. No, well, well I, if you're a Club Card user, I and am. you know, they send them out to you. They know how you shop. They're watching mm-hmm. you because they send them out to things that you do buy. But I suppose I should be using them. America is a great country, you know, for coupons and vouchers. People use them all the time. They have endless amounts of Coopers and Coopers, Coopers, Coopers and Coopers and Rochers. Uh They have and they use them. We, we just, not so much into that, but the club card does and the other cards. Well. But the big thing today, the big thing today, not today, Louise, tonight, tonight, The Apprentice is back on BBC One, nine o'clock, with Alan Sugar in the hot seat and there's a girl from Alan. Can Ireland. I
6: just do one thing and say, you know, just one thing? Because I, I actually mess it today. We just have enough time. Okay, go. On.
5: Okay. Um,
3: Don't be to tell your story to me. A hairy moment for you. There's a grand if you do. I need to know on the late long show.
6: Can I just say now you're fired? can resist <laughs> well done I love it I still love that though miss oh, that oh
3: will go away I get embarrassed every time I hear it playing mm. anyways I must take singing lessons up to three on late lunch no, news weather me. and sport on the way Nikki Kyle mm. in the garden out to three artist of the week but let's head towards three in the company of Cher and we'd all love to do this but we can't turn back the time I wish I could I wish if I could
5: turn back time if I could
3: Big thank you to Jim Garvey. Thank you, Jim. Love your car. Got this lovely car today. Thank you in the post. Did him a little favour and he returned the favour with some picnic bars, which I was talking about on the show the other day. Oh, my God, Jim. I better start walking again quicker. Them picnic bars will be uh, putting more on the waist and he'll have to walk faster and longer as Lent approaches, of course, and we have to do something for it. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. It's time to do this at ten past three.
0: <laughs> the Late Lunch artist, artist of the week.
3: Artist of the week. It's Miley Cyrus this week and did you know this about her? She has a song called Party in the USA and it's become an American anthem to the point that when President Barack Obama, Barack Obama was in office, they lobbied a huge lobby to replace the US anthem, the Star-Spangled star spangled banner with this one with party in the USA can you believe it anyway of course that was never going to happen but it got a great outing in Times Square when Joe Biden was actually declared as uh, the winner of the last presidential race in 2020 a massive crowd sang it with gusto will they be singing it again in November who knows She's only 31, Miley Cyrus, quite young in terms of a musical career. But she's already listed in the top 30 artists of all time, according to the Billboard 200 list. Miley is regarded as well, you know, as the Madonna of a modern generation by many writers, observers of the music industry and more besides. And, you know, in my book, the comparison is justified. It fits the bill for Miley perfectly. Well, today, let me tell you the song we're playing. incredible it's very recent it's only last year Flowers is the song do you know the story behind it it spent 38 weeks at number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Chart in the USA the longest serving the longest at top of the charts ever in the history of the charts in the States in the UK it was number one in our neck of the woods for 10 weeks biggest song in the world last year it's my artist of the week Miley Cyrus and Flowers
6: We were good We were gone
3: Miley Cyrus, my artist of the week on Late Lunch. Isn't she just fantastic? What a star that young woman is. And we'll round off the wee story in uh, words. And, of course, a song from Miley. Roundabout this time on the show tomorrow afternoon. Coming up next on Late Lunch, it is the 1st of February. And to me, this is really the start of the gardening year. I couldn't have anybody else on to round off today's show, could I? Other than the Queen of Green, the organic Queen of Ireland. Yes, Nikki Kyle's here next. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM radio this Thursday afternoon, the first of February. And on this day, I just had to have her on late lunch with us. She is the guru, the queen of organic gardening, and she just uplifts our spirits all year, but especially at this time. Nikki Kyle, welcome back to the show.
5: Hello, Jerry. Happy St. Bridget's Day. (laughs) And
3: happy St. Bridget's Day to you too. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is.
5: It all yeah, t- happening. Today is actually um, uh, what's known as a cross-quarter day, and it marks the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Um, and it's not only St. Bridget's Day in the Christian calendar, but, but long before Christianity, the ancient Celts celebrated the Festival of Imbolc uh, in early February to mark the return of life-giving light to the earth, which I think is wonderful. And, you know, they knew how vital light is to all life on earth. And that's something we often forget in our frantic modern world. But we can't live without light. Um, Even the birds are singing louder now, have you noticed?
3: I have, and I see the stretch in the evenings. And I always think this day is the first of spring. But the Met Office would argue with me and say, not at all, it's too early.
5: I mean, it's traditionally the first day of spring, but but it's not really. I mean, the beginning of March is. But, you know, it's it's lovely to think about. It's the first day of thinking about spring. Uh, that, that's where I look at it. And, and, you know, we get such a brilliant burst of energy when there's on a sunny day now. I mean, you know, we all seem to react to solar energy.
3: We do indeed. So let's take it that this is our first day and we're away in the garden. And when you talk about the garden at this time of the year... Potatoes, Extra early spuds. Nikki, come on, what do we need to do?
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, any potato that you've got sprouted at this time of year, um, you, you know, you can plant in pots. Um, and they'll be ready in about eight to ten weeks, depending on the variety, or a little bit longer. It doesn't matter what the variety, but obviously early or, or second early potatoes are, are better. But if you've got some sprouted, that really helps. Um, I've actually planted some, only planted some yesterday, and I'm hoping they'll be ready for Easter. I'm not exactly sure what date that is. So I haven't looked. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just such a hopeful time of year for doing anything, isn't it? Bit, the other bit of good news before we move on to growing is that growing our um, or buying organic food, if we don't grow it, is something we can all do to reduce our carbon footprint. Because growing or buying just one kilo of organic produce can actually reduce our personal carbon footprint by an amazing 6.4 kilos of CO2. I mean, just imagine being able to buy food that actually shrinks your carbon footprint, supports biodiversity, is fresh, tastes great and good for your health. And even better if it's local and not imported.
3: It's a win-win-win situation all round. Back to the sports. I have some early salads well sprouted and we're going to put them into pots this weekend. So into pots undercover this weekend with very early potatoes.
5: Oh yeah, absolutely. And keep some fleece on hand um, for covering on on cold nights. Um, You know, don't let them get frozen. I mean, even if they're still not above the surface of the... The, the the organic peat free compost. Um you know, still cover the pot so the pot top top doesn't get actually frozen if it's really cold. I mean, you know, the weather at the moment is so variable, we never know from one day to the next, and neither do air and frankly, what's going to happen. I mean it seems to swing backwards and forwards. So always be prepared. That's the thing with growing anything. Cover them with anything. It doesn't matter whether it's cardboard, newspaper or a bit of fleece or, or something. Just don't let them get frozen.
3: Now, what can we sow this month in terms of fast-growing seeds?
5: Oh, loads of stuff. And actually, there's a huge list uh, on my website. Um, the What to Sow Now uh, is up there already for February. And, um, you know, there's a list of actually very fast-growing veg to start now, which will definitely give you a crop in just eight weeks um, on Uh And the other thing we can do is all help biodiversity by sowing some fast-growing annuals which will provide um, pollen and nectar um, for insect pollinators, which then in turn provide food for birds feeding nestlings, which is very important because, you know, we all like to feed the birds. But remember, baby birds need insects, which also provide moisture, not peanuts and dry food. Uh, and don't be too tidy either, Leave some wild spaces for nature. I mean, the more you can flower, even, you know, even dandelions are so valuable. And dandelions seem to flower here before anything else does.
3: Yeah, they're early um, manna from heaven for bees and, and uh, flying and, uh, the creatures. And all yeah. of those.
5: I mean, there's so much we can do. You know, we need to really concentrate on the positive and not think there's nothing we can do because, you know, more and more now things are accelerating. Scientists are going to come out with new ways of, of um, you know, helping climate change and, and um, biodiversity. And we really need to, to do it. We need to fight for every inch of biodiversity and, and, you know, preventing climate change.
3: So in terms of uh, green quick salad crops and those fast maturing salad leaves, we can sow them this week?
5: Absolutely. I, I would actually sow them in modules. Uh, I always do that because I find, you know, the first ones you can plant out in your greenhouse or polydumnal. Um Some you could maybe pot on and plant out later in the garden. Um, you know, you can sort of stagger your crops by doing that. And, and, and also, they're much more resilient, much more resistant to slugs and other pests if they're bigger, slightly bigger. Because if you sow, um, you know, tiny seeds, carrot or lettuce or anything like that into the ground now, you'll think they were bad seeds because you never saw them. But basically, something ate them long before they ever appeared. Uh, and that's the problem. If you grow them in modules uh, and protect those, you know, put them outside during the day. I mean, they'll all germinate now at house temperature, you know, warm, uh, even not, not a warm house. Ours isn't a warm house, but, you know, everything's sort of germinating like mad. Um, and then put them outside during the day to get some light. Light's the most important thing, not warmth if you give them too much warmth and not enough light like on a on a warm window so they're going to get stretched towards the light that makes them um, very weak and leggy and more prone to diseases and things
3: so i can put in my Kelvin and wonder early peas in, in little individual pots start them there on the bench and then put them into the bed later yeah, on you
5: could start them off in, in in pots um you could sprout them first on a bit of kitchen paper somewhere nice and warm uh, and then you know do do that put them into pots or um I mean, a greenhouse. As long as you don't have uh, any nasty rodents or things around, you could actually sow them in the soil, uh, in a greenhouse or polytunnel. Now, uh, when they're well sprouted, I mean, just just try and you know get them going before they actually go into the soil. That's the best thing.
3: So a range of veg besides the salad leaves, the peas and that, start them all in modules and then move them out later on.
5: Yeah, I mean, ev- everything you can do now. And I actually sowed um, tomatoes just experimentally, really, a couple of days ago. Um, just mascotca, um, and uh, naked honeyman, which had a fabulous flavour. But I sowed two. I got too late last year to, to actually get a good crop from. So I just sowed a couple of each of those so that I can have something really early, because I know mascot is thoroughly reliable, and uh, I'm hoping to get some tomatoes even before the first week of June uh, this year. Uh, I'm just dying for some fresh tomatoes.
3: NickyKyleGardening.com. I'll see you in the knoll in March, please, God. Take care.
5: You're welcome, Jerry. Thanks. Bye.
3: That's it on Late Lunch this afternoon Don't transplant those snowdrops I've got a message there And leave them alone until they've flowered And that is all over Anyway we're all over for today uh, Eddie Caffrey's on his way with The Drive here on LMFM Radio We'll be back tomorrow with your final Late Lunch of the week Friday 1.30 See you then
6: It's that time
4: of the year Your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves